Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may have noticed something a little awkward, and that was flipping back and forth. I go through great lengths to try to prevent that in our bulletins, but today it just simply wasn't possible for our hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Last Sunday was known as Quinquagesima, which comes from the Latin for 50th day. I mentioned that we, are, we were 50 days from Easter. If you count that day and Easter Sunday, it would be 50 days. Now, today is known as invocavit, which is also a Latin word. The names for Latin, I mean, the, the Latin names for, for the Sundays in Advent and also for Lent and for, Christmas, or for Easter are from the first words of our introit. So today's intro, it began with Psalm 91, verse 15, and there we said, we prayed, when he calls to me. And that's where we get that word also, invocation, invoking or calling upon God as his name is placed upon us. We do that at the beginning of the divine service, and it is, of course, God is placing his name on us, and it is a reminder of our baptism as we invoke his name. Now on Wednesday, we began the season of Lent. Lent itself, if you count from Ash Wednesday to Holy Saturday, it is 46 days long. Our closing hymn will talk about these 40 days because if you omit the many Easter's found in the Lenten season, that is the six Sundays of Lent, then you are left with a season that is 40 days long the same length in which Jesus fasts in the wilderness, and you can probably think of many other times in which the number 40 occurs in the scriptures. The German word for Lent is much different than the English word for Lent. It's Fastenzeit, which means a time for fasting. That emphasizes one perhaps unfortunate aspect of Lent. Some languages refer to the season using a form of the word 40, emphasizing the length of Lent and also emphasizing the many references to 40 in the scriptures. In fact, the earliest known reference to the Lenten season is from the Council of Nicaea in the year of our Lord 325. That's the council in which the first draft of the Nicene Creed was written to address the Arian controversy. And in that council, they referred to Lent as Tessarkanta, which is the Greek word for 40, the same Greek word that we see here in our gospel when Jesus fasted for 40 days. So in English, though, we're a little unique in that we call our season right now Lent. It comes from an old English word for lengthen, recognizing that Lent occurs in the spring when the days are lengthening. And while it might be nice to follow the older tradition of calling the season 40, the term Lent can have useful applications. In Epiphany, we hear that the one who is born in Bethlehem makes himself, reveals himself as God. So he, we grow in the season of Epiphany, part of the reason why we use the color green during much of the Epiphany season. So we grow in our knowledge and understanding of who Christ is. And in the same manner, during the season of Lent, we grow in hearing of our Lord Christ 
and his bitter sufferings and death to take away all of your sin. You grow in knowledge and wisdom of Christ as you hear of his passion and his work to redeem you, especially as you engage in additional Lenten devotions and attend additional Lenten services, our midweek services. We need this time of Lent. While it is okay to observe it as a fastenzeit, that is, a fasting time, to remind ourselves of the great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he went through to take away our sin, and also to have that time of fasting, giving things up to discipline our bodies, what we really need, above all, is to focus on our Savior Jesus, who perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf. He went to Jerusalem bearing our sins in his own body and paid for all of our sins on the cross. We need this time to recognize our own sinfulness, to engage in more repentance, and, and also to see the great works of Jesus who has shed his blood on our behalf, taking our sins away. The Holy Spirit himself leads us on this Lenten journey. And he, of course, does so through the word, the word which Jesus relied upon to withstand the assaults and the lies of the devil. Now, Jesus was led by the Spirit to be, to, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, right before this, that same Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove when he is baptized, when he goes to the Jordan River to be baptized. There he is anointed as the anointed one, as the Christ, to bear our sins in his own body and pay for them on the cross. And so led by that spirit, he goes to the wilderness, he fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights, and it is there that Satan comes to tempt Jesus. The devil knew what was at stake, because he knew that if he cannot get Jesus to sin, then Jesus would be able to shed innocent blood as the ransom payment for the world's sin. God our Father would be pleased then with Christ's sacrifice, Satan would be defeated, and Christ Jesus would grant the victory of eternal life to all who believe in him. And so because there was so much stake there for Satan, he needed to work hard in his temptations. Our gospel reports three that Jesus faced, and through them, Jesus remained sinless. He withstood every temptation, and he responded to each temptation with the word of God. And in this, Jesus is serving as an excellent example on how to face temptation. You see, as we face temptation, Satan can even use those temptations that we may face to try to get us to be focused inward. So it's temptation upon temptation to face inward. So when we are tempted with something, we begin to think, what's the matter with me? Why am I like this? Why do I have these thoughts? Why am I tempted to commit this immoral thing? Or why am I tempted to indulge in this thing that I do not need? Why? I sure hope nobody finds out about the temptations that are going on in my head. That's the temptation we face. Do you think Jesus thought that at all? Did he 
look inward when he begins to face all these temptations? Do you think he's starting to say, what's the matter with me? Why am I being tempted? Dear friends in Christ, recognize those temptations for what they are. They are lies of Satan trying to get you to focus on yourself rather than focus on your Savior, Jesus. Jesus, not looking inward when he was tempted, looked to the external word of God, which ought to be our focus as well as we face temptation. When we face temptation, we should be driven to the word and also to prayer. After all, we just sang, for, for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. He's by our side upon the plain. As we walk in this wilderness, as we are tempted by the devil, Jesus is with us and he fights for us. He is our advocate. He is our defender. He is our savior. And as we heard in our epistle, he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted as we are yet without sin. So then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence in the midst of our temptations that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, as we face temptation, we must also remember what we had learned in the small catechism. In the small catechism, of course, we review the meaning of the Lord's Prayer, and we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, and so we believe, teach, and confess that God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. That's our small catechism. These things certainly attack us, the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. All three are constantly tempting us. They attack us as we are tempted, just as Satan himself was attacking Jesus with temptation. The first temptation that Jesus faced was, a, was an appeal to appetite. There, Satan was basically saying, you're hungry, Jesus. Feed your tummy. Do what pleases you. Aren't you number one? You are God's only begotten son after all, so you've got to be number one. In the same way we are tempted to feed our appetites, to think that we are number one. We feed our appetites for all sorts of excess, like excess food or excess alcohol, sex, money, or power. And to this temptation, Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every response Jesus gives in the word, by the way, is found in Deuteronomy 6 or Deuteronomy 8, which is quite interesting. Instead of focusing inward on what we desire, let's improve our appetites so that we feed on things that are wholesome for us, such as if we're craving food, let's feed on the good food instead of the junk food. Or even more important, when let's, let's crave and feed on the word of God. So the more we study the word, the more we take delight in it. The more we go to church, the gladder we are when they say to us, let us go to the house of the Lord. The more we pray the Psalms, the more we love to pray them. The more we study the scriptures, the more our desire is to be in it. And the more we sing solid hymns, the more we cherish these words of great confession of the faith.
Now, the second temptation that Jesus faced was one that appeals to reason. Since Jesus quoted scripture against Satan, the devil thought that he could appeal to reason by using scripture even against Jesus. And so taking Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, the devil tempts Jesus to throw himself down and he quotes the scriptures on how God's angels will take care of him. And when quoting Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, Satan skips a line. You can, in fact, see it very clearly in your bulletin on pages 8 to 9. We sang the whole thing in the gradual on page 8. And then on page 9, Satan says he will command his angels concerning you and, where there's the and is where he left out a line, to guard you in all your ways. And then he continues in his quote of Psalm 91. It's also interesting that every time we pray the Psalms today in the intro with the gradual, the tract, it's always the same Psalm that Satan himself quotes. So there we are as we pray it using the word against the devil, the tempter, the old evil foe. So the purpose for God sending angels is not to protect us so that we can deliberately place ourselves in harm's way. Instead, it is, as Satan omits, to guard us in all our ways, to keep us from putting ourselves in harm's way. That means it is not for Jesus to put his father to the test by putting himself in harm's way by jumping. And so Jesus responds from Deuteronomy 6, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan also loves to appeal to our reason. He likes to make us think that we are so smart that we know more about what's good for us than God himself does. And so we militate against God and his word in his church. We fight to maintain our perspectives, wanting ourselves to be heard instead of humbling ourselves to the saving word of Christ, God's word, the Holy Bible. We look for preachers who say what we want to hear and for churches that match our ideologies. And many Lutherans, unfortunately, are Lutheran not by conviction, that they are totally convinced that what the Lutheran church teaches is the true word of God, but they're only Lutheran by circumstance. That is, they were born as a Lutheran, or they married a Lutheran, or the closest church to their house happens to be the Lutheran church. The danger for being a Lutheran simply for circumstance, for these reasons, instead of conviction, is that if we dis find ourselves disagreeing with what we think or feel, we are quickly tempted to leave. We really had no real root. And we look for something that then suits our itching ears. Instead, we must be Lutheran by conviction, fully convinced that by what is taught in true Lutheran churches truly matches the word of God the writings of the Bible. That means that these teachings won't match the desires of our sinful flesh because our flesh is opposed to the things of God. You see, Satan will want us to reason away the scriptures. He wants you to feel like you are in the driver's seat, that you are the interpreter of scripture, or maybe he'll even get you to be tempted to not even bother to search the scriptures, but to make your own theological conclusions after dwelling on eternal matters for just a few moments. 
Instead, Scripture is what interprets Scripture. We let the clear passages inform the less clear passages. We look at the entire context to know what God is saying. Satan wants you to make, on the other hand, the Bible say what you want it to say and omit whatever you would prefer to omit. But we must not test God, for we recognize that God never lies. As Jesus prayed on Monday, Thursday, God's word is truth. And as St. Paul declared, for whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This word brings us hope. It's not something to fight against. It's something to take refuge in. And then finally, Satan appealed to human desire for ease. The devil is trying to get Jesus to believe that he could have the whole world and all of its kingdoms, and he could do so by not going to the cross. Jesus knew that that was how he was to redeem the entire world, by going to the cross and shedding his innocent blood. And Satan is saying, I found a better way for you, Jesus. You can bow down and worship me, and it is all yours. Jesus responded that the only one to worship is the true God from Deuteronomy 6. And we all face this temptation, this desire for ease. We want things to be easy. We skip church because it's too hard to get up, get ready, get our kids ready, make them listen, listen intently ourselves to sing cheerfully and to gather joyfully. Years ago, one faithful lady told me that after facing some conflict with other church members that she should just stay home. That way, she doesn't have to put up with the drama that she was facing. She doesn't have to put up with anything. What she didn't realize is that Satan was already waging an assault on her soul, getting, trying to make her believe that it would be much easier, this desire for ease, if she would just not listen to the word of Christ and stay home. Satan tempts us to take the easy route and skip church and Bible study, to give poorly to God, rationalizing how much we need our hard-earned dough. Let, and also Satan wants us to take the easy route by letting our Bibles collect dust at home and also take the easy route of saying, well, I'm not saved by my works, so I don't have to even do any good works. I don't need to serve my neighbor. Satan wants us to take the easy route for making excuses and not help the poor. That list goes on and on. Satan tempts us to be lazy and not work when we realize that we can somehow work the, the system. That's why we, rejoice, why we rejoice in what Jesus did for us. Despite the temptations that he had faced, temptations that are common to man, temptations that we also face, Jesus did not give in, not even once, not even just a little. But Satan did everything right. He fulfilled the law in your place. He did not take the easy route. Instead, he earned salvation for each and every one of you. The only way to be reconciled to God is through what Jesus did for you. Going to Jerusalem, handed over to those who hate him, enduring a false trial, a kangaroo court, if you will, going through those beatings and being nailed to the cross where he would die among the transgressors and shed his innocent blood. He died bearing the sins of the entire world. He made the entire payment for all of your sin. 
and Jesus rose victoriously from the grave to grant you the victory. So because he lives, we hold fast to our confession. We rejoice that in the salvation he has won for us. Our heavenly father did not choose the easy part, but gave his dearest treasure, his only begotten son as the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He is triumphant for you. And he even credits you with keeping this law now. So you know the temptations you face. You know that you have failed to keep the law of God. You have transgressed God's laws. You have given in to the temptations. But Jesus fulfilled the law in your place. And the Father, he now looks down on you as an innocent child of God in whom he is well pleased. So as you live your life, as you try your best to withstand temptation, and even with your sincerest intentions, you will fail. But Jesus withstood them all on your behalf. And so he credits you with having kept the entire law perfectly. Jesus covers you with his, entire righte with his righteousness so that you are entirely clean, cleansed of all sin and guilt, and you are now holy. So the Father sees in you an innocent person. He sees in you Christ. You are truly blessed. You are God's dear children. He loves you. And because Christ lives, he grants you everlasting life all by grace. God bless you during these 40 days in this Lenten season. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.